This episode is made possible by Big Hannah Composter. This is the organic stream on compostory.org, the bite-sized podcast series interviewing experts and key figures in the environmental sphere on all things organic and recycling. Get your lunchtime organic fix here. Hi there and welcome to another episode of The Organic Stream. Today's topic is organic recycling and food recovery in schools and institutions. We have two case studies and two guests with us, both from quite different parts of the world, as we love international stories. In the first part of the episode, we'll focus on food recovery with Programme Director of Food Shifts Food for Kids programme, Kelly Ernst Friedman. Kelly is based in Oakland, California, USA, and this first case study will give an insight into how best to set up such a programme in a school environment, the benefits and educational value it brings to the students, and gives examples of other institutions or environments where such a programme could thrive. We learn in this episode that food recovery works best alongside a composting programme, so for our second case study we'll be in Greece examining how a composting system can work in a large university setting with Professor George Pilidis from the Ioannina University. With an insight into both programmes and how they operate, it becomes possible to envision how a 360 solution can work in a similar environment. So let's begin with our first guest and the Food for Kids programme. The programme started up in 2013 with the Oakland Unified School District and aims to collect food from the school canteens in order to be redistributed to disadvantaged families in the community. While still only in the early stages, they've had great success. So let's see what Kelly Ernst Friedman has to tell us. So Kelly, let's just start, I suppose, with a bit of background information. You started the Food for Kids program back in May 2013, yeah? We did. We did. We were approached by Nancy Deming, who works for, um, she's a consultant for the Oakland Unified School District. And she um, works for a program called Green Gloves, which is all about um, greening the Oakland school system. Um, and she had been seeing a lot of the waste that was going on. She works on a, a various initiatives in the schools, um, including a sorting program, which is the basis for our food donation program. Instead of everything going into the landfill, she's working on getting the schools to sort their trash at lunch. Um, and then they have something called a food share, um, which is basically the kids, uh, and especially at the elementary and, and middle school age, where their bellies are a little smaller, they're required to take a certain amount of food, and they often don't eat it. So the food share bin gives them a chance to put that in there. And then if someone else decides, hey, I, I want another milk, then they can take that during the cafeteria period. But then after the cafeteria period, that food goes into the landfill or the compost. And so Nancy really wanted to connect with someone that could take that food and, and donate it. Um, thanks to the Bill Emerson um, Food Recovery Act, which was passed in the U.S. in 1996, um, organizations are, are, are encouraged to donate food. It's, it's a um, sort of a liability coverage that says unless there's gross negligence, nonprofits can take this food, businesses can donate this food um, and get it out to people that are hungry. So we, we kind of had the, um, the legislation there behind us. We just needed to figure out a system that worked for Oakland. And we started our pilot in May of 2013 with two schools, two elementary schools. Um, and we recovered over 3,000 pounds of food and worked with um, about 30 families just in about six weeks. That's great. And how much would you recover now per month, say? We total, we've gotten about, I think, 4,500 pounds of food in the last six months. And we average probably uh, 
30 to 50 pounds a week. One of our one of the schools that we're going to be starting um, in the next couple of weeks, we did uh, a quick survey and they had 55 pounds of food from from one day of lunch. That's a lot of food. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, does it all get distributed then? Yeah, all of the, the poundage that, that we note, all of that gets gets distributed. That's very good. And uh, to touch on the regulations again, is it primarily the regulations that are preventing schools and other public places from distributing food? It is. It is because the the food comes from the government. There's very strict rules on what can and can't go back to the kitchen. And that's been another part of the program as well as sort of educating kitchen managers and staff about what can be returned. So, for example, if um, they have apples or pears that go out and go into the food share, if those are in pretty good shape and the kitchen manager um, has the opportunity to make the call and say, you know what, I think I can use these again tomorrow or the next day they're going to hold up, they can take those back to the kitchen, clean them off and reserve them. Anything that hasn't had a, any kind of heat differential, that can go back in and be reused. But anything that has had some kind of temperature change, um, we see a lot of cartons of milk, for example. Um, some of our, our schools are satellite cooking kitchens, which means packaged food comes in that gets heated up. So they'll have a plastic wrapped piece of pizza or a burrito or a baked potato with with cheese and broccoli. Anything like that would have to go in into the into the trash before we came along. But now that we're here, then immediately at the end of the period, that goes back into refrigeration or a freezer, depending on the on the site. And then that is distributed either to the students and their families during a distribution period at the school, or it's connected with a community partner, a soup kitchen, a church, some organization doing food assistance and is given back to the community. Right, okay. And uh, do the schools that you work with compost their waste already or is that something that hasn't been done yet? Yes, that's actually a great first step to setting up um, a type of food recovery program because you want to make sure that you're you're getting the food. You don't want to have to actually, you know, go through the the bin and do a, a dumpster dive type exercise where you're cleaning things off. So having a sorting system that includes compost and includes a food share is absolutely essential. And that's the first step um, in, in, in how we choose the, the schools that we're expanding to is do they already have green gloves in place or can we get a sorting system up and moving relatively quickly so that we can we can begin the food recovery? Um, because that's just, that, that takes a little bit of, of onus off the process when that's already done and you can say, okay, here's the box of food that gets donated. Great, that's, that's done, that's neatly packaged. Let's hand that off to the parents or let's hand that off um, uh, to the community organization. So definitely, I think composting and, and sorting is um, is vital. Excellent. So they work well together side by side. Yeah. Yes. And would you say that composting and the food recovery program are a good educational tool for students as well? We hope so. That's actually sort of the next phase that we would like to work on um, is is getting the education component in there because we have handouts and, you know, we talk to the parents and the kids. And that's one of the feedback that we got um, from one of our pilot schools, Brookfield, the parents saying, you know, this is really important. This is the message that we want to be sending our kids is that, that food you know, food is a resource and food isn't something that you take a bite of and you throw away and you really have to think about that. Um, thankfully, you know, because of Nancy's work with the Green Gloves program and the sorting, the kids are already starting to get a sense of that. One thing that's that's really fun to see when we do site visits is we go in at lunch and, and you see these kids, especially the the youngsters that come over and they're really looking at the bins and saying, okay, is, is this landfill? Is this compost? Is this food share? And you just kind of see them working it out 
And then, you know, they, they put something in the food share bin and we say thank you and they just get this big smile on their faces. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a group effort. Uh, and, you know, all of these, these different things working together, the, the teachers as well have been very supportive of the program and, you know, they want to see the kids getting more nutrition and understanding about food and the food system. So, yeah, well, uh, that's never a bad thing. And I know you've been running this in schools, but could you see this type of program running well in a university, say, or other types of spaces like maybe restaurants, for example? I think that not necessarily this program, um, but there is potential for other programs to work. And in the United States, we have a lot of really exciting initiatives going on. There's um, the Food Recovery Network. And Food Recovery Network is all about creating student-run food recovery networks in universities. And they have, I want to say, over 20 or 30 schools that are already participating. And then they had another uh, 60 requests for students that want to start a program. Um, There's also really great restaurant initiatives that are going on. Um, Out of Austin, Texas, there is Go Habsies, which um, it's a group that's working with restaurants to help them offer smaller portion sizes. So they would have a meal, it would be half the size, um, and the difference in price would be donated towards a hunger relief organization. You know, there's all different kinds of ways that businesses can get involved, really specific to to what their business is. Um, Restaurants have a great opportunity to to donate food and and to create compost programs. Schools, especially, you know, large universities with multiple cafeterias, there's a huge opportunity there um, to to divert waste and also to get students involved in the process, which I think is really important as well. Yes, definitely. And uh, for those listening in who might be interested in setting up a similar initiative, uh, could you maybe give us a piece of general advice or share some insights um, on how best to set up a program like this? I think that the biggest thing, um, you know, regardless of what country, what school district you're in, is really working with the school and working with with the parents and the staff. Um, Because with any new program, to make it work, you have to make sure that it works with what's already going on. Um, You know, particularly with the uh, resource-strapped staff, you don't want to come in and say, here, we're going to give you a whole whole bunch of new tasks. Um, You know, so talking with them about the problem of food waste and then figuring out a way that's going to work best for them. Some schools are going to need to do distributions twice a week. Some are going to need to do daily. Um, You know, looking at the amount of surplus you have is, is a great way to start doing some kind of survey with the kitchen manager. Management, um, just to look at, okay, you know, how, how much milk are we getting in? How much extra food do we have? Um, and really working with each side and making it very site specific. Uh, there's not sort of a one size fits all. There's definitely steps that you want to take in terms of talking with the schools and, and finding parent volunteers. Or, you know, if you don't have a strong parent volunteer group, um, which several of our schools don't, you can partner with another community organization. We have several schools that um, are going to start, they're going to be working with community partners, churches, and soup kitchens that are going to come and pick up that food every day. So it's it's a much less, uh, much smaller ask for um, for the community, but we're still recovering that food. We're still getting that food to people that, that are in need. Yeah, which is the most important thing. And um, what's the future vision for Food Shift then? The the large vision for Food Shift is that um, we can create a fee-for-service food recovery network. We believe that food recovery should be compensated in the same way that waste management is. So in the same way that we pay for people to pick up our trash and our recycling, food recovery should be valued in the same way. Um, it's difficult with school districts because they are so resource-strapped. 
But what we see sort of the the larger vision would be um, policy changes around food recovery. So, you know, cities and municipalities um, and maybe even the federal government would eventually put money behind this and say, yes, this is important. We're going to pay for this service. So not necessarily the schools themselves. And it's not, you know, going to be it's not a get rich quick kind of thing. But ideally, yes, that that would be compensated. Um, But that is that's a much farther down the line vision. That was Kelly Ernst Friedman, Program Director of the Food for Kids program, with some great insights and advice on running a food recovery program in a school setting. We go into detail about potential models for edible food recovery in Lesson 3 of our online course, and list key steps on how to get started. And while our next guest doesn't work directly with the food recovery program, he does have great experience with on-site composting in a university campus. Professor George Pilladis is a member of the Biological Applications and Technology Department of the Ioannina University in Greece. Ioannina University is the first to start composting its waste in Greece, and Professor Pilladis has been monitoring the composting program's performance very carefully, so we'll get into a little bit of detail on how it all works and any issues they had along the way. So, uh, George, Ioannina is the fourth biggest university in Greece. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've heard that you started recycling back in 2008, but when did you start composting organics? So, I have to say uh, we have started earlier. Uh, Fifty years ago, uh, we have started to recycle uh, our laboratory waste. This was the first step, a very important one, because we were the first university in Greece. Uh, uh, We have started for the management of the solid waste in 2009, and the composting system was part of the solid waste management within the university campus, where we have approximately 12,000 students, uh, uh, undergraduate students, plus 2,000 postgraduate students. So in total, uh, 15,000 people are living in this area. Okay, so you must have quite a few restaurants and canteens then. We have two restaurants, uh, and we have 14 canteens. So yeah, that's uh, quite a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine that's quite a lot of food waste too then? Yes, we have approximately 100 kilogram food waste per day. Right. And how much compost does that make in the end? So according to our studies, 50% of the carbon is released in form of carbon dioxide, while the other 50% is being converted to a first-class compost. This means we have approximately 50 kilogram compost per day. Okay, and uh, how do you manage the compost? Do you sell it? So, uh, this compost is used mainly by the gardeners of the university, and for this reason we do not have any uh, chemical fertilizers within the campus, uh, and as well as is used from people which are working in the university. Uh, That's a great use of compost. Yes. And you are the first university in Greece to start composting. Mm, Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did the students react? Uh, did you have a lot of education to do beforehand? Uh, yes, the, the, the students reacted very positively. Uh, we have uh, located this composter uh, directly under the student restaurant uh, in the basement. It's an open-air basement, of course. And uh, we have also bought a, a boat, uh, air filter. Therefore, we do not have any bad smell. The only smell which is coming out is during the maturation process, which is taking place outside of the compost. Uh, and we use this composting unit 
also uh, for didactical issues. Huh? Many schools are coming here and visiting these composting units. Huh? Children and uh, this educational process is excellent. That's great. Yeah, yeah, the educational opportunities, I guess, is a good reason to have a composting unit in a school or university. Yes. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about the composter itself? Uh, the composter is, uh, is a big one, a closed system. The dimensions is, are, this is uh, approximately five meters long and two meters in the height. And the capacity is four cubic meters, the cylinder capacity. And this composter is able to treat between 400 kilograms and 1,200 kilograms food waste per week. Uh, we have approximately 600 to 700. So we manage this very well. That's great. And it's important to pick the right kind of equipment for your specific needs. What was important in your decision then uh, when it came to choosing a unit? Uh, 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 the, the, the first and important thing is the material where this composite unit is made. Huh? The stainless steel, for example, the quality of the stainless steel is very, very important. And also, of course, the mechanical part. Because this uh, our composting unit uh, has temperature sensors and automatically we have also aeration and the rotation of the drum. Or everything takes automatically, and this electronics should be should work very well. But the most important for me is uh, the frame of the composting unit and the material which is used. Right. And uh, how do you handle contamination in the input stream of your composting unit? Uh, uh, we are very happy because only one person is responsible for that from the uh, university restaurant. And uh, uh, this person collects the waste and uh, we made uh, a recommendation to him what kind of food waste he should do in the composting unit. And he is very careful, of course. The input is very important. Uh, you should uh, uh, avoid to have foreign subjects, for example, glass or plastics or stones or something like that. Yeah, and it sounds like it's a well-controlled system. And this composting program was a pilot program to see if it could work elsewhere. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, uh, the, the pilot program works very well. And uh, Greece as country uh, is very far away from a really a good system for solid waste management. This is the biggest environmental problem in Greece at the moment. And we thought that the university should play a, a pioneering work on that. And uh, we made this, I think, until now with success. Uh, due to the fact that we are going in many symposia, international conferences, and are presenting this, uh, I think, were well known, at least in Greece now at the moment. And uh, at the moment, as far as I know, uh, the municipality of Ioannina is going uh, to buy also such types of composters uh, in order to place them in different places of the city. Ioannina is the seventh biggest city in Greece with approximately 120,000 inhabitants. And they are going to place uh, five or six uh, such composters in places close to restaurants. I do not know exactly the plan, but they are going to buy five or six composter sites. That's great to see it expanding. And um, permits and regulations apply in most countries and can be quite strict. Uh, what's the situation in Greece? And did you have any issues? No. Uh, in, in the Greek government has not any regulations uh, on the quality of compost 
of operation of compost units, but there is the European Compost Net, and they set uh, some uh, quality criteria. But according to my opinion, this criteria should be expanded also to organic compounds, not only to heavy metals and uh, uh, xenobiotics or foreign subjects, etc., or microorganisms. They should also focus on uh, organic compounds, and uh, this has been not done. Uh, and in order to be a member of this compost, you have to produce and compost, which has the regulation which were set up by this compost net. But uh, these regulations are, according to my opinion, very high. For example, uh, if you say for lead, for example, is uh, uh, approximately 100 milligram per kilogram. This is too much. That's too much? Yes, it's too much for me. Or for nickel, it's uh, 25 milligram per kilogram. This is also too much. They should be more stronger. Okay, interesting. And uh, the compost quality standards is an important and quite serious topic. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that right now. Uh, we're running out of time. But George, just to finish up, do you have any final words on the success of the composting program so far? Or No, no. Uh, we are very happy to have this composting unit here. We are very happy that we are the first university which is using this uh, solid waste management system within the campus. And of course, uh, many people uh, are coming and visiting us and I'm going everywhere and give lectures on that. And I'm very happy. Well, that's great. That's great news. <laughs> uh, thanks for talking to us today, George. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, all the best. Okay, bye-bye. That was Professor George Pilidis and Kelly Ernst Friedman for the organic stream on compoststory.org, giving us an insight into their organics recycling and food recovery programs. I hope it provided some inspiration. If you have any questions or comments, send them our way by either commenting on our website, compoststory.org, or send them to us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is compoststory.org. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. You are listening to the organic stream on compoststory.org. This episode was made possible by Big Hannah Composter, the original since 1991 and now installed in more than 25 countries. Big Hannah's five standard models of on-site in-vessel composters range from 75 to 2,400 kilograms of food waste per week for housing areas, prisons, schools, canteens and restaurants. For more information, visit www.bighanna.com.